get my... Uh... Okay, um, we uh, were going to look at the next part of Titus, but I was persuaded um, to look at something else tonight. Um, part of what we uh, do in the congregation is to offer mentoring for various people. And what I want to, to do tonight is to uh, take a look at this from a biblical perspective. Basically, we want to try and expand the work that we're trying to do uh, in mentoring, and I want to try and help us understand a little more tonight from a biblical perspective what mentoring is all about and how we would actually go about doing mentoring. What does it look like? Some of this, um, if you are one of our mentors, will be very familiar, or uh, one of the students who went through the one-to-one training stuff, it's all very similar. But I want to try and look at this tonight. Um, I am pretty convinced, um, and I don't think this is an exaggeration, Uh, I think I've said this before, I'm pretty convinced that I've seen more fruit from the mentoring I have done than from every message I have ever preached or, or sermon I have ever given. I don't think that is an exaggeration. I think it is an excellent way in order for us to be able to communicate the gospel, to help people grow and develop uh, as Christians uh, and grow and develop in their Christian life. Um, It is a brilliant thing to be involved in, um, but I want to look tonight now uh, in terms of how we understand uh, mentoring, where it fits in, and and what we want to do with it. So, um, if I get this, hope my technology works. Here we go. Please turn with me to Colossians for uh, a start. Colossians and chapter 1, verse 15. If you have a, a church Bible. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, and we're going to read down to verse 23. Uh, He is the image, this is talking about the Lord Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, Uh, Because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." Uh, Okay, the first question we need to ask is not really about mentoring per se, but it's really about God. Because the first thing we need to know is what is God doing? It would be pretty silly for us to try and go in a different direction than God was going in. So we need to try and find out what direction, what things God is doing in this world. 
before we try and find out what we should be doing and how we should fit into his plans. And I think very briefly here in Colossians, we find a snapshot that Paul gives us of uh, what God is doing in the world. We find his purpose there revealed. You'll see it uh, in verse 20. Through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What is God's purpose? What is God doing? God is reconciling to himself all things. From Genesis through Revelation, we find in the Bible a story of what God is doing. As the history moves along, we see it uh, expand uh, and uh, we get more and more information about what God is doing, how he is working out this purpose in the lives of his people in, in this world to reconcile all things to himself. From the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, there has been this fracture. Everything is not as it should be. And the rest of the story right through to Revelation chapter 22 is what God is doing to make it right again. And the central focus of how God is making it right again, how God is doing this uh, redeeming, is of course through Jesus Christ. That is the pivot on which it all moves. Through Jesus, he is reconciling to himself all things. The whole world, the created universe, that is now out of sync, will be put back into into the way it should be. Through what Jesus has done on the cross. As he makes atonement, that is what takes place. That is what God is doing. That is what God was doing in the past. That is what God is doing now. And that is what God will be doing in the future until Christ comes back again. That is his purpose. From Genesis to Revelation to bring everything under Jesus Christ. But check out verses 21 and 22, for you will find that central to this purpose of reconciling all things is the very fact that he is reconciling a people for himself, us Christians. We were alienated from God, and through Jesus Christ, he is bringing us back into relationship. That is the the central point. If you remember back to the creation story, you find there, as God creates everything, The pinnacle of all his creation is the creation of humanity. The people who bear his image and who are on the world, on the earth, there to subdue it and to work it. That is the pinnacle of all he did. And so the pinnacle of all his redemption is again the restoration of that image through Jesus in us, his people. And that is what God is doing. All the activities, all the things that we do as a church, as as the people of God, are all directed into this task, or should be all directed to this task. Because this is where God is going, and we need to follow what God is doing. So, if that is the case then, if that is what God is doing, what should we be doing? Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, um, very famously called the Great Commission. I want to take a look at this in slightly more detail. Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 uh, to 20. Let me read the, the verses. 
So where do we fit into God's plan? Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay. Let's have a a quick think about this for a second or two. I want to try and look at it in terms of these five five points. Um, you read them through there. Think it through in your own head how you would answer these. Uh, considering the context, just what, what is Jesus actually asking his disciples to do at this point, if we think it through very clearly? Well, we know that this is the point where Jesus is about to leave. He's about to ascend to the right hand of God the Father. He's about to leave his disciples on the earth. And he, they're there, they they worship, but some doubt, they're unsure of what is really going on. As you know, the story of the disciples is one where they've been trying to figure out and, and trying to find out more about this Jesus. And they grow in their knowledge and discernment until... Caesarea Philippi, where he's conf- Jesus is confessed as, as the Christ. And then it continues to grow right up into this point, uh, and ultimately up to Pentecost. Um, but the interesting thing is what Jesus actually says. If you look at it, he says these things. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now, after everything the disciples have seen, they've seen an empty tomb, they've seen the resurrected Jesus, they're looking at him right now, and he comes to them on this mountain after fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament, all these things, they're quite excited. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What would you expect them to think? What are you going to do with it, Jesus? You've got all authority in heaven and earth, there's... Is there anything beyond that? Is there any authority bigger than that? No. Okay, Jesus, you've got all this authority. All right, Jesus, what are you going to do? And he turns to these 11 disciples and he says, You go. I have all authority, but you go. You go and you make disciples of all nations. He says this to fishermen who just recently left their nets. He says this to tax collectors who were despised in their society. He says this to religious zealots who were under suspicion of the law. And he takes these very unlikely characters and he says to them, you go. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to make disciples of the nations. Always a big play on the go aspect of this, but it's literally more like as you go. Make disciples of all nations. He's saying them, as you spread out, as you, as you go in your everyday life, you make disciples of the nations. And you see, it's because he has this authority. It's because there is someone sitting at the right hand of God who has all authority that gives these disciples the confidence they need to be able to go out 
into a hostile environment and tell people what they've heard. But then, I also want to think about, okay, from this passage, what actually is a disciple? What, what does he mean? When, what does Jesus mean when he says, disciple? If we think about it from these verses, what would you say a disciple was? Just these verses, what would you say a disciple was? Well, I think firstly, we could look and say uh, a disciple is someone who uh, is baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is he really getting at there? Well, I think, for whatever else baptism means, one thing it does mean is a kind of entry into the visible community of God's people. When you're baptized, you're brought in to the visible church. And so I think we could say, firstly, that a disciple is someone who is part of God's people. Very simple. Very straightforward, easy. They're part of the community of the church. They are brought in from outside to be part of a distinct people. But secondly, you see there that Jesus commands his disciples to teach. So a disciple is someone who teaches. Teach them specific things. Teach them to obey. So, a disciple is someone who teaches and who is also obedient. Obedient to what? Obedient to everything I have commanded you, says Jesus. What would that be? What has Jesus commanded us to do? Well, in a sense, he's referring, I think, to everything he has revealed to his disciples and ultimately everything he will reveal in his apostles as well. Jesus has revealed to us, in a sense, the gospel. In a sense, everything about himself. That's what he came to do. He came to reveal to us God. So in a sense, to obey is to obey Jesus, to obey the gospel, to believe, to repent, to have faith. To turn away from idols to the living and true God. And to, and to live your life for him. So a disciple is part of the community of the church. He teaches. He is obedient to his master, to his Lord. And he obeys the gospel. But... If we are to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us, then we must obey this very command as well to go into the nations and make disciples. We put a circular reason in there. So, and here's a key point, to be a disciple is also to be a disciple maker. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be called to go and make other disciples. To teach them about the gospel. To see them converted, brought into the church. And there grow and develop in their obedience to Jesus. But then what's really encouraging also about that last promise that Jesus gives them? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is he getting at? How is Jesus with us? Well, of course, we know that at Pentecost, the Spirit was sent. 
Jesus continues his ministry through the work of the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit moves, as the Spirit convicts concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, as the Spirit opens blind eyes, people are brought into the kingdom. Jesus is there. Jesus is with his people. As you go into the nations, as they would go, Jesus was there. The Spirit was at work. His presence was felt. People were converted. And I think that gives us great confidence. Because as we go, as we seek to do this, as we seek to make disciples, it doesn't actually depend on the fishermen here or on us or on how our great abilities we have or our ability to speak in front of people or our ability to be a personal evangelist. It actually depends on us being faithful to the message that we have received and trusting that God will bring people into his kingdom, that Jesus' presence will be felt, that he will continue to expand his kingdom through the agency of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit, of course, empowers and enables these, uh, God's disciples to do that and enables us to do that. And so it all fits in, if you like, into God's purpose. God is bringing his kingdom. It's expanding. It's enlarging as the Spirit moves and brings people in. And we go and we preach. We teach. We bring people into the community of the church. We allow them to hear the gospel, to be changed by it. And as we speak and the Spirit works, God expands his kingdom. Jesus expands his kingdom. So the agenda for the church in the world, our agenda, what we need to be doing, well, that's exactly what we need to be doing here. Making disciples. Seeing people brought into the church, obeying Jesus, and seeking to teach others, to make other disciples in the context of our fellowship. So let me summarize that uh, a little bit. God is on a mission to restore the world from its broken state. He's doing it through Jesus, through the gospel that he has revealed. Our role in all this is to proclaim the gospel to the nations, to go out to these peoples and tell them. We are disciples of Jesus who are making other disciples of Jesus. As we have come into the church, as we have been changed by the gospel, as we have been taught, we teach others that same gospel. Do it by teaching and proclaiming what Jesus taught us, the gospel. Discipleship is, of course, carried out in the context of the church, and a community of people. And a disciple is someone who is learning obedience. They are growing. They are developing in their relationship with God. They don't just sit there. They grow. And we do it in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And so we must be prayerful. Because we cannot do it ourselves. We must ask God to continue to bring his kingdom. Okay, here we go. Come on, technology. There we go. Great quote uh, from this book. I really recommend this book, The Trellis and the Vine. Um, I have got copies of it if you're interested in buying one. Uh, Christian ministry is really not very complicated. It is simply the making of genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ through prayerful spirit-backed proclamation of the word of God. It is disciple-making. And that's really what we're all about. But how does mentoring fit into that? 
Well, mentoring is one part of that. Mentoring is a great opportunity for us to do on a one-to-one level or maybe a one-to-two level or a one-to-three level that teaching, the making of other disciples. Speaking to people about the gospel, helping them grow in their, and develop in that relationship and seeing them go out as well and make other disciples. There are some models uh, in the Bible we can use in terms of mentoring. Moses and his mentoring of Joshua, uh, Elijah mentoring Elisha, Jesus mentoring his disciples, and Paul, of course, very famously mentors uh, Timothy. And we've already we've looked at 2 Timothy over the summer. Um, there are some things here um, which uh, I can point out very quickly in terms of helpful things that we can learn from uh, 2 Timothy in terms of things we want to be doing and the priorities that Paul has in terms of his, his mentoring of Timothy, how we can learn from that. First big thing is, of course, in 2 Timothy, Paul always prayed for Timothy uh, and Timothy for Paul. There was a great personal relationship there. Prayer is utterly key, as we've seen, to the spiritual growth of what we want to see in people's lives. We need to pray for them. Paul was passing on the gospel to Timothy. He was the, the apostle. He uh, had this message from Jesus. He was passing it on. Timothy had to pass on that same gospel as he uh, mentored others. He was to stick to this message of the gospel, not change it, uh, be tempted to change it. If it didn't suit people, he would need to keep it the same. And he needed to rely on the gospel itself. Timothy's sufficiency didn't come from his own abilities. It came from the gospel itself. It came from knowing that he was a Christian, that God had worked in his life and was using him through the, through the Spirit. He was to endure hardship. Ministry involves that in any sense of the word, from the smallest task to the biggest task. There is going to be that involved in it. Timothy was to use the Bible correctly. In chapter 2, verse 15, uh, as opposed to false teachers who uh, used the Bible incorrectly. He used to make sure he got it right. Not to be lazy or uh, complacent, but to make sure he get it right. And Timothy must instruct with gentleness and patience. He is not to try and win the arguments. He is trying to bring people into the kingdom. You try and go out with someone and win the arguments, you've made an enemy. If you go and try and gently instruct someone, your goal is to bring them into the kingdom, to correct their path. Uh, And Paul also, very importantly, shared his life with Timothy. Uh, Throughout all his missionary journeys, Timothy was with, uh, as Timothy was with Paul, he saw him, he heard, he didn't just uh, hear the message Timothy uh, or Paul preached. He actually saw Paul live it out. He saw Paul intricately show how the gospel affects life. And he he showed him live it. Even to the very point of rebuking another apostle because he was wrong. It's not just about the knowledge. It's also about sharing life. How does the gospel affect your life? The person you mentor has to see that. Because sometimes when we do this, A lot of things we teach are caught and not taught. And Timothy, uh, of course, 
Paul talk, tells Timothy, use the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures are God-breathed. They're sufficient. They're sufficient for teaching. They're for sufficient for correcting people. They're f- sufficient for training people in righteousness. Exactly what we want to do. Use the Bible. It is God's word. And Timothy is to preach the word, communicate it. It is the communication of the gospel through word and life that brings transformation and growth in godliness for the hearers. Timothy, that was what happened between Paul and Timothy, and Timothy needed to seek to have the same thing happen as he was there in Ephesus in that church. And it's what really we want to see as well. As part of this great plan that God has, as we seek to make disciples in terms of mentoring, this is what we want to see. We want to see people grow. Grow in godliness, grow in gospel character. Um, And so here's a few conclusions. Um, And I'll not keep you too much longer. So when we think about mentoring, mentoring is about the making of disciples through the passing on of the gospel. It is really that simple. It isn't very complicated. Mentoring is about sharing our lives. It's about allowing people to see how we apply the gospel to the various situations in our lives. Let people see what difference it makes. And mentoring is about growth. Um, We've talked a lot about growth today. But very specifically, I could say uh, these things, and these these are things borrowed again from the trellis and the vine, Uh, convictions. We want to see people grow in what they believe. We want to see people start believing in Jesus, growing in that relationship about what things they believe. We want to see their character, how the gospel changes their life. We don't want this just to sit in their heads. We want this to change the way they act with their friends, with their parents. We want this to change the way they use their money. We want this to change how they live as they bring their life under the lordship of Jesus Christ, their character, they grow in godliness. We want that to to change and to be affected by the gospel and competencies. Another big part of mentoring is actually training people, training people to do the same thing with other people, helping them learn how to use the Bible and pass on their knowledge to other people, training in competencies. Mentoring, if we are, and do it, requires for us to be utterly dependent upon God. It requires us to be dependent on his word, which he has given us. And it requires us to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, who is the one that ultimately does the work, brings the growth. And it requires us to pray because we cannot do this ourselves. We are utterly dependent upon God to bring this growth. As Paul would say to the Corinthians, you know, uh, Uh, I watered Apollos and so on, but it is God who gave the growth. That's what we want to see. And so we have to pray. We have to pray for the people we mentor. We have to pray for the mentors in this church. We have to pray. And lastly, and quite significantly, it will mean sacrifice and hardship. This is the not, not so popular one. But it is true. If you want to be involved in biblical mentoring and a mentoring relationship, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. You're going to have to give up time to be able to do it. It's going to cost you energy and effort to prepare, to to think about what you're going to do. These are all the things you have to think through in terms of what it's going to mean. There will be a sacrifice involved in it. So here's some practical points we could think about. 
We want to use the Bible because it's sufficient. We make sure we pray for the person we're mentoring. Spend time with them. Allow them to see our lives. Seek their growth as a gospel. That is the goal we want. If you're in a mentoring relationship, that's what you want to be doing. You want them to grow. And very importantly, you have to be yourself. You are whom God has created you to be. Um, don't try and be somebody else. There's no, point, there's no point in me standing up here trying to be John Piper. Because you'd all know it wasn't true. I have to be me. That is whom I am. That is whom God has created me to be. If you're in a mentoring relationship, you need to be yourself. Because if you try and act, the person will know. You want to talk about meeting uh, in terms of a minimum of an hour every two weeks. That's the type of, t- uh, type of time you're talking about. Um, and in that time, you want to be, uh, of course, studying the Bible and praying together. And it means we don't, need, we don't want to be uh, afraid to ask difficult questions. Part of this is about growth in the person's life. That means the life is an open book. That means if behavior isn't, uh, isn't living up to the gospel, then it needs to be challenged. That's part of mentoring as well. And that's not easy, but it's necessary. And of course, we need to be flexible. Um, it's not about regimental disciplines. Um, it has to be flexible in terms of, especially if you're mentoring a student because we know how flexible they are with time. Um, Anyway. So that gives you a kind of idea in terms of how, what mentoring is in terms of a biblical perspective, how we might actually go about it. Here's the thing. What we want to do in this church is to increase the number of these relationships, of mentoring relationships. If you're interested, if you would like to be part of this, um, it is a wonderful thing to be involved in if you'd like to be part of it, please consider it. Please consider what I've said tonight in terms of what it is about, how you go about doing it. Think about how you, you could do that. You want to find out more, please speak to me. Um, please speak to me or speak to David when he comes back. Um, there are a number of books I could point you to if you want more information or anything like that. Um, there are great books out there to read on this. A uh, recent one just been published as well. I'm looking into it at the minute. You want to know more? Please tell me. But please also pray. There are already a number of mentoring relationships going on in this church. Um, and those have been really successful and they're doing really well. Pray for them. Pray for the mentors. Pray for the mentees. They need your prayers. It is a tough work that they have to do. Please pray for them. And if you would like a mentor, if you're someone who would like a mentor, if you think this type of thing would help you in terms of your growth, in terms of your development as a Christian, if you want to go a little deeper, then please see me as well. This, as I've said, I think is a brilliant way, a wonderful way in terms of communication of the gospel. The gospel itself isn't just for non-Christians. It is very fundamentally for us all, for Christians. We need to be constantly reminded of it. We need to be constantly challenged again to trust in it, again to, to lay on Jesus. Mentoring is a wonderful way to have that kind of intimate relationship where that takes place. And I would appeal to you, don't normally do this, but I would appeal to you to really consider it um, and consider having a go at it. You don't have to be wonderful or you don't be scared because you, um, 
you can't stand up in front of people and speak and all those kinds of things. Don't feel inadequate. It is really simple. The Spirit-backed, prayerful speaking of the words of God to other people, the making of disciples. It is really that simple. So please consider it. Please pray for us. And if you want to know more, please speak to me. Um, And I hope that has been helpful for some people. Um, Let me just pray for us all, just as we consider these things. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are on a mission to restore and redeem this world through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him you are reconciling all things to yourself. And Lord, in your great and wondrous plan for this world, you have given us the privilege as your church to be those to go out and proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of the nations, to bring people into your church, to be part of your people, to obey you, and to be disciple makers. Lord, we thank you for this great privilege. We thank you that you don't send us out alone or unequipped, but that your presence is felt with us, that your spirit works, that You're the one who ultimately builds your kingdom. And we pray that in this place you would continue to do so. We pray for growth. We pray that uh, all of us would grow in our knowledge and discernment. That we would grow and, and live lives worthy of the gospel as Paul prayed many times for the churches. We pray for those who are involved in mentoring. We ask that you will help and bless them. We ask that you will be pleased to use these relationships to bear much fruit, to see gospel growth in convictions, in character, and in competencies of the the people who are involved. We thank you so much for the privilege of being part of your people, and we ask that you will indeed continue to help us trust in the gospel and to make disciples of others in this place as well. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.